programme which follows is brought to you by Resonance 104.4 FM. You're listening to Very Loose Women. I was in a lecture this week. It was about applying for our first job after our vocational course. The lecturer spent two hours, two whole hours, saying platitudes and acronyms for positivity and quoting 5th century poets and... We came out none the wiser, other than learning that we shouldn't be an idiot in a job interview. He actually said the sentence, The best applications are magic. They turn applicants into candidates. The format for this episode is a little different from usual. Around clips from our visit to the studio of artist Lillianne Lin and featuring our friends Jen and Nat K. Thatcher from Jiggling Atoms, I offer my attempts to answer some questions around life decisions, including how to answer the question, What do you do? Anybody does have a go. <laughs> I don't think art is exclusive. At what point in your in your own lives and in your own kind of studies did you make the decision? Was it a conscious decision that you know to be an artist and then to make that your sole focus? You know, when did that happen? Jen Crouch is our age, so in her mid twenties. Because that's kind of just what I ended up doing, really. Because I'm not I'm not an illustrator in the sense that. Um, I illustrate articles for editorial publications. I w- would consider myself an artist. I don't know why, um, but it just feels it feels better. Because I always, I mean, I had friends that were artists once I stopped doing physics, and um, I always thought, oh, I just won't talk about it. And then meeting Natalie when Natalie said, oh my gosh, you did this studying, and this is something to be celebrated, and I suddenly felt like it was okay. Like I was actually really nervous about. God, what am I doing? What have I done? And I don't know what to... I think it takes it takes a while to figure out, like, actually, I'm just going to... This sounds quite bad and probably potentially pretentious, but I'm just going to do what I want. And I'm going to say... I'm going to say that this is what I'm doing and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to try and be just I think authentic to myself. I think it's also being young and not, well being younger and just not knowing what and just feeling a little bit uncomfortable about what it is that you want to do and just not knowing and just genuinely being scared. Jane Crouch was able to combine her interest in science and illustration by creating Jiggling Atoms with Nat, a project that explores physics through illustration. Here's Nat, who also set up Jiggling Atoms. Well, I didn't get any A-levels, and the only place that would take me was art school. I got one A-level. and <laughs> But it was a really good decision. And then, because I went there, I discovered learning in, in books and the joys of discovery as an explorer, suddenly. Lillian, I feel I didn't give you a chance to answer about oh. kind of when you became an artist, if you become an artist in that sense. Mm. <laughs> well, Lillian Lynn was born in 1939 in New York. She's been working as an artist since the early 60s and was recently shortlisted to produce the next artwork for the fourth plinth in Trafalgar Square. I was about, I suppose I was about 16 and I was in school and one day I decided that I'd rather paint to go to school. 
And I started, you know, no, I was probably 17 when I did that. I think what happened was first I joined a, a, a kind of school club where we were all making things, uh, which we did, you know, on weekends and stuff. And this was in the Italian part of Switzerland. And um, then, uh, about a year later, and it's quite a complicated story, actually. <laughs> so about a year later, I, I met a friend of mine from the States um, who, who, who was in Europe. And she told me about another friend whom I hadn't seen for six years, who was living in Venice. And so I got together with this friend, whose name was Nina Torin, and she was in Venice, and so we wrote each other, and she said, come and spend a weekend with me, and I went. Her mother was a surrealist painter, oh, wow. and uh, they lived in this palazzo on the Gran Canale. It was quite quite extraordinary <laughs> place, actually. <laughs> and my friend Nina was, this was sort of 1958, and she was, uh, she looked like a kind of hippie from the typical hippie with long, you know, kind of frizzy hair and wearing capes and velvet. Mm. And she was quite oh, extraordinary yeah. looking. Wearing <laughs> velvet. <laughs> and, uh, and she was painting, and so had I been painting in Lugana, in my own way. And, um, but I hadn't yet, you know, I still was going to this incredibly difficult school that I was going to. And um, anyway, we really hit it off. And she said, look, uh, you know, why don't we go to Paris in September? You know, we should just both become artists. And I said, but yeah, I have a year and a half before I finish the Liceo. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm graduating in a year and a half. And she said, oh, yeah, well, couldn't you do it quicker? You know, it would be great to go to Paris. And of course, her school life was almost you know, almost non-existent because of her very uh, kind of uh, nomadic existence. And um, and so, you know, when I went back to Lugano, it was so extraordinary in Venice that when I went back to Lugano, everything seemed grey to me. I just thought, you know, this isn't life, really. And I, I, I actually interviewed everybody in my class and asked them why they wanted to graduate. And nobody had any decent reason for wanting to graduate from the Liceo. And so I thought, well, you know, if they don't know why they want to graduate, why should I worry, you know? Mm. And because I know what I want to do, you know? So I stopped going to school and started painting and going on long walks. Mm -hmm. And this was sort of in November. And then in December, I had to go see my father, who lived in a different city. And my mother had been complaining that I wasn't going to school, you see? And so he said, so what's going on? And I said, well, I've decided I want to go to Paris and become an artist. And he said, you what? (laughs) 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 I told him the story and everything. He said, no, 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 you can't do that. You've got to finish your education. I said, well, it's taking too long. I don't want to wait a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And so he said, well, why don't you maybe, maybe come to Geneva and you can study here. And so that's what I did. I went. I quit school, went to Geneva, uh, found a way that I could take three A levels and study by myself. And in four months, I took, you know, I studied, took the exams, got three A levels, 
And then in the next winter, next uh, autumn, I went to Paris, um, met my friend in Paris. And, of course, I had to do some, something educational. My father wouldn't allow me to go without doing something. So I said, well, okay, I'll, uh, I didn't want to go to art school for some reason. I, th I think what happened was I went and saw the Beaux-Arts, and it was so incredibly archaic that I thought, no, I can't go to the Beaux-Arts. Mm. And I didn't really know enough to think of going to the atelier. See, didn't have enough information. And so I decided to study archaeology. And I went to the Sorbonne, and the, history, mm -hmm. uh, the Ecole de Louvre, and I studied uh, history of art and archaeology. That must have been amazing in and of itself. It was. Yeah. <laughs> it was a great, great influence on my work, actually. And then, uh, and then what happened was quite difficult because I wasn't actually an artist. I was just working, you know? Yeah. And, but the thing was, I met artists right away mm. because Manina knew everybody. You know, I met Mike Serence, <laughs> Demata, and wow. all kinds That's of people. Amazing. Uh, and André Breton, you met him. I met André Breton. We used to go to the Surrealist uh, Café wow. every week. Yeah. <laughs> and we were like two of us, 18, you know, and they were all... So, you know, André Breton would kiss our hand and, and everybody would sort of goggle at us, you know. <laughs> There's like oh, so incredible. much palpable jealousy coming from you two guys. No, but it's just... It's You're just, just born the wrong time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, I think... Well, nothing to be jealous it's, about. It was actually incredibly I tough. It's incredible to hear as well. I'm sure it was incredibly... I mean, keep it going. Was tough. I want to hear more about this. It was this. tough. We were considered little girls. Mm. Nobody mm. took us seriously. You know, the men all just wanted to fuck you and drop you, you know. Yeah. It was a tough, tough time. It wasn't easy. Was it, <laughs> oh, apart yeah. from Nina, I didn't have any other uh, friends my age. Yeah. And we got into very complicated relationships. Yeah. And actually, Nina was murdered the next year. Oh. So it was extremely tough. Yeah. Wow. She didn't survive. Uh, and it, She didn't survive because of that. Because of that year. There? Oh, I, I was there for six years, actually, in Paris. <laughs> but I, I also spent time in New York at the same time. I did wonder, as Lillianne recounted her path towards being an artist, whether she had had more doubts than she was letting on. But on the other hand, maybe people do know at 17. Meanwhile, the rest of us spend our time wondering whether what we are going to do is right for us. But it is yeah. difficult to say you're an artist when you're very young and you're, mm. you know, you're just beginning. Um, I shy away from that word. I yeah, illustrate I understand that. I mean, you know, one day we were sitting around the dinner table. He said, I would like to be a writer. And I, I sort of wondered at that because he wasn't writing. <laughs> and so I said to him, what would you like to do most? Would you like to be a writer or would you like to write? Mm. And he thought about it a bit and he said, I'd like to be a writer. <laughs> <laughs> and he never wrote. <laughs> it is fantasy. You know? There's so much fantasy in what you want to be or, you know. Yeah, you shy away from calling yourself an artist. Is that just because I guess you think it comes with like preconceptions of what that is? Yeah. And you just rather say like, okay, I don't I want to justify what I'm doing. I'm an illustrator. That yeah. means something to people. 
complicated. I think it's artist is a complicated word. I think it comes with a lot of. I mean, I wasn't trained as an artist actually. I didn't do fine art, so that's probably where it comes from. In reality. But that doesn't matter. Really. It does. Well, I, I, I don't know, do but... it either. <laughs> I could say I'm an archaeologist, but, but I, I really was... couldn't say that <laughs> so I'm not an archaeologist. <laughs> I guess the the. I think artist covers a huge area. Mm, you know, that's the nice thing about it, as you said, yeah. that it covers this huge area. You can almost do anything to be yeah. an artist. You know, now. Yeah, but I, maybe that's why I like to say it as well, because you. I mean, it's not saying anything goes. That's not what I'm saying in terms of art. I just, it just, it makes me feel more comfortable. Like I think psychologically, because it just means that actually in my everyday tasks and when I am working in the studio. Um, and I take five hours to decide whether to draw an, an egg or not. And sometimes I have to step, I don't know what I'm doing for bed today. Not to say that that means that you're being an artist. But if you're, if you're um, you see, that I was sort of thinking of, you know, normally, or at least in the past, people would say, are you, in fact now people say to me, are you a painter? Mm. Are you a sculptor? Mm. You know, are you an illustrator? You know, in other words, they specify very narrowly. Yeah. yeah. So to say you're an artist allows you a much wider field to work in. That's That's the way I see it. It's kind of safe in that way. I feel, I mean, it did take me a while to recover to say that, but I I say that because all the weird, desperate things that I do, it means that I can, that it kind of fits under that umbrella. I still feel like I'm sort of, you know, tiptoeing around in in finger paint, to speak metaphorically, like I don't know how to make it do what I want to do. And I, I don't know, it just somehow works, but it is strange. Well, I think the problem is with the, with the fact that there is a culture of asking people when you meet them, what do you do? I'm going to pause it right there. It's a question that's been interesting me. And I think it's partly in my decision to adopt my various jobs so that I can answer straight away to that question. It's a question that terrifies me. I made this song about... Just that one sentence. In fact, the only lyrics in this song are, What do you do? that there is a culture of asking people when you meet them, what do you do? No, but they do just say, what What do you do? And by that, they don't mean, like, do you go to the toilet three times a day? They don't, they're not asking that. They're asking, what's your job and how do you earn your money? Yeah. the status thing and also that being an artist the problem associated with that is that you might not earn your money that way like Nat you work in a bookshop I don't know what your finances look like but mostly mostly my finances come from the bookshop but T.S. Eliot worked as a bank clerk and I don't know how T.S. Eliot in in, like said that I don't know if he said Mm. I'm a poet or if he said I'm a banker to his friends he just also had a job yeah he was an accountant I can't 
but saying that you're an artist, I think is more difficult to say because there's the implication that that's how you earn your money because that's what the question that they're asking is. Whereas if you're answering, so you could say, when, so when I was working at the library... So did you say well, I'm a librarian? I would always say, I'm, and now I always say I'm a teacher, but I would never, ever say that I'm a writer, even though I write mm. and I like, have a drawing blog that I update most days. why wouldn't you say you're because a writer? That's not what people, like people because people aren't know. asking people me about... Really they're asking me about my finances. Really? That's what I feel when they're questioned. I list. Hmm. I list books I you could say straighter. But then, yeah, you, but then you say... Formally and informally. So formally I do this. By day, by night. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it is that, but it's... But, I mean, that's... What I'm saying is there's a stigma because of the, because of the implications of the question. Yeah. Because, because that's a status question. And if you're not answering by status, then it means you're not answering the question. So you've but got then, to answer... But then maybe you want to answer the question... The, what, the way you want, yeah. What you want to tell them, yeah. what they I want think, to hear. I've been asked. Well, I say that I'm an artist. I just. Yeah, I, mean, I would. I, mean, I would agree is, with Jenny. I mean, why shouldn't you say you're a writer? You write. You've had it published. That makes you a writer. But even if you haven't yeah. had it published, you know, I think when I met someone, yeah. who, like the first thing they said to me wasn't what do you do. They said like, what are you really passionate about? It threw me. That so is much a better question. A minute, because yeah. I was like not expecting it at all. But then who asked like, you that? Um, a person that I never met before, a friend was going out with her, I didn't know she was. But actually, it was a good question, it sparked a nice conversation, yeah, but you know, because you don't expect that, because you expect to be asked, how, you know, how do you yeah. earn your money, how are you sustaining yourself? But I, yeah, that's really funny, because I was actually interviewed by, by somebody, <laughs> and she kept on asking me how I earned a living. Mm. That's rude. Which I found <laughs> beside the point. Well, if she was, or he, was interviewing you as an artist, which I assume, like, that's the reason to interview yeah. you, um, then well, it, is a, it is a bit of an odd question. If you're, well, if they're yeah, just interviewing you're not going to sell your work when you're, you know, 19 or 20 or 25. Yeah. You, you might not sell anything. So how are you earning a living? You know, so how are you earning a living? Kept on coming up over and over again. And I thought, well, I mean, how I'm earning a living is my own yeah. bloody business. Maybe I'm a prostitute, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. what is this? I How am I earning a little bit? <laughs> like jealousy, though, and I think like that's probably why mm. I don't know. I feel exactly, mm. but you know, when I'm asking you, you know, a lot of people enjoy art when they're younger. You know, like as a child, you draw a lot and stuff, and a lot of people don't even conceive of the fact that they could actually do that as a career. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you just don't even think that's possible. Mm. You think it's something I'm doing for fun, but I could never get a career. Yeah. And I think that maybe some people kind of when they see, you know, you're getting to do this thing that's really exciting and creative, they're almost so shocked that you, you've managed to, you know, make that into... They want to say, what's like, the payoff? Like, how are you getting... Yeah. How are you, but I, you I do feel like it's, there's yeah, always but I don't, a way. No, there's... there's isn't there, I mean, isn't there... I mean, do, are we really interested... I don't know, maybe you're right. Maybe one is interested in how people make their living and how, you know, how they manage to survive on this rather esoteric... Uh, uh, occupation, mm. but on the other hand, wouldn't it be more interesting to ask them about what they're doing? Mm. And, you know, well, why they're up. doing it. They you know, they walk at the weekends, yeah. and they work yeah. in the most obscure places. And you know, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't say that they were walkers. But that's what they love to do. <laughs> but so I had a friend who is easy. who was a, pa- a poet. Uh, you know, a poet. Now, poetry is really the area where it's very difficult to very make a living. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And I had a friend who was a poet, a wonderful poet, actually. And she used to sell her, she used to make drawings. And they were quite saleable, so she used to walk around all the cafes in Paris and sell her drawings. 
And then at one point, I don't know, she got into selling dope instead, you know. Right. <laughs> then she was selling dope, you know. And then she actually ended up at one point selling herself, you know. Yeah. You know. And she was really quite open and yeah. sort of a matter of fact about it, you know. She was in Morocco, you know. And she said to me, you know, she was living in Morocco near the desert, tough road, and with, she had a five-year-old son. And she said, you know, I ran out of money. I said, well, what did you do? She said, oh, well, I realized that all the men were looking at me, so I thought, well, you know. Capitalism. <laughs> you know. And in fact, she said, it was good living, you know. Wow. She said it wasn't bad at all. If I had, uh, if I, if the police hadn't started... <laughs> You know, <laughs> bothering me, I might have continued. You know, it's. Mm. So, I, I mean, she had. Uh, she had a very um, amoral, if you like, mm. you know, without morals, uh, attitude towards it. She was a very pure person, so it didn't affect her in any way. You see, mm. and uh, she was quite extraordinary. And then the next time I saw her, then then she went off to India. Um, she was published by Calder, wonderful poet. Uh, she went off to India with her five or six-year-old son by that time with a hundred dollars. You know, that's all she had and a one-way ticket. And she was, she, what she wanted to do was to do a film of Milarepa's life. Milarepa was a great Tibetan saint and poet. And she couldn't get the money together. And she had Sajidit Ray who was going to direct it. And all they needed was $30,000. And she managed to get twenty thousand, wow. and she couldn't find the last ten thousand dollars, and so they couldn't make the film. Oh my gosh! Then the next time I meet her, she's coming back from India, married to a Tibetan monk, <laughs> and she's in a sari. You know, she comes to my little flat in Pelham Park, and you know, million. You know, we were very close friends because a lot of my poem machines used her poems. And she said, well, what are you doing and everything? And I started talking about how I was at a gallery and I was showing and, you know, I had some good reviews and I was quite excited about all this. She said to me, Lillian, you're, 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 you know, you're making a career. <laughs> and I said, well, I mean, you know, you know, why not? You know? <laughs> she said, that's terrible. <laughs> what about your spirit, you know, your spiritual side? I looked at her and I thought, yeah, this woman telling me that I'm not very spiritual because I'm selling my work. That was really the question. As someone who doesn't make art, I find that so confusing. So I went to like an art show. I guess it was a graduate show a couple of weeks ago, a month ago. And I saw some really amazing stuff. Like I, I don't know, I was just really transfixed by... There was like a little teacup with a video in it. It was really cool. Anyway, oh, and I was really transfixed by what I was looking at. And then I kind of saw you know, the sign where it said... What, what the piece was called and then it had a price and I kind of thought if I made this really cool thing like I would never want to sell it I just want to look at it every day not probably an edition probably you know that's not how people who make art view their work but that to me I was like how could she sell this it's so cool I just want to look at it all day long maybe she bought it The songs you've heard in this episode were by Ben Selvin's Knickerbockers and the Columbia House Band playing Shine, 
um, and the rest were by me. That's it for this episode of Very Loose Women, an adapted version of an episode that we put out on Resonance FM last year. Thanks for listening.